Good morning. Let me say a prayer to get us started. Dear Father, we love you. We are incredibly thankful for what a good God that you are. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that you've given us to draw nearer to you. I pray that you would incline our hearts toward you this morning. I pray that you would strengthen us, encourage us, remind us of who you are and what it means to follow you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've all been watching on the news as the wildfires have been raging through Maui, the stories that have been coming about about the people's lives who've been affected there and who've been affected by the fires and the damage and the evacuation. I read an article this week about a woman named Annalise Cochran who lives in Lahaina. And she's lived there for about seven years, and she said the fires that came in were swift and brutal. She'd seen the reports of the wildfire, and by 4 p.m., she said that the smoke had gotten thicker. Fire alarms started going off in nearby buildings, and when she saw the flames about a block away from her house, she grabbed some of her essentials, hopped into the car, and started driving away from the fire toward the water to try and get uh, in a safe route. She said, but as she was driving, the road got blocked because people had the same idea and abandoned their cars, and so she couldn't go much further. As she was in that position, a building next to her began to burn, so she decided to leave her car behind and head toward the water. On the way, she came across two of her neighbors. They went over the barrier wall. There's black rocks in the area, and to get away from the flames, they went to the water, and they were there for hours. She said it was cold, the fire, the smoke kept coming. She said it really got scary when all those abandoned cars started to explode. And so then you had um, the fumes and the heat, and she was there with her neighbor Edna, and they held on to each other, trying to encourage each other through the night and reminding each other they were gonna get through this when they felt near collapse. She said around midnight, um, her and several other dozen people were finally rescued by the firefighters in the water. When she was finally rescued, she was covered in bruises, lacerations, her feet were burned, her face was burned, but she said this, I feel blessed to be alive. What I found so interesting was in desperation, she was trying to come up with a plan. She went where she knew to go to the water. She was trying to get away from the fire and in desperation to survive, that's where she looked. It struck me because we've all felt desperate before, haven't we? We've had moments where we literally, maybe it's not a wildfire creeping up on us, but we were searching for any answer to help or any solution to fix the problem, anything we could do to survive the moment. And at its core, desperation feels like a loss of hope. You feel like despair is winning, you're surrendering, and there's just nothing else to be done. So if you've been in this desperate moment, it's the place where you're like, I'll do anything because nothing is working. Everything we've tried, the need is high. It feels intense and urgent and it's critical and you are out of options. Everything you've done hasn't worked. And it's interesting because a good question for us is, what do we do when we feel this level of intensity, this level of desperation? Where do we go? What are our options? What have we tried? As we've been looking at Mark's gospel together, we learn about a man who was desperate. He had gotten to a place in his life where he was willing to do anything. He had a 12-year-old daughter and she was sick. Everything they tried wasn't working. She was so sick that if something didn't change immediately, they knew she was gonna die. 
And so after trying everything they knew to try, he heard about Jesus. Jesus' name has been spreading, what he can do, what he's been doing. And so his name was Jairus. He went to Jesus. He was, a, uh, Mark tells us, a respected leader in the community in the synagogue, which means he was well-known and respected, and he was pretty high up in the community. He had influence. He had cloud. And when he saw Jesus, Mark says, he didn't play this, like, do you know who I am game, and I've got influence in this community. He simply fell at his feet and pleaded with them. He said, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. And Mark says, Jesus went with them. It's easy to read stories and just miss the, like, huge context of what's going on. In his desperation, in his fear for the life of his little girl, he just falls at the feet of Jesus and asks for help. He just begs Jesus to do something. And the next line, it's so simple and it's so easy to just keep moving, but it's so powerful. Jesus went with him. That was it. Jesus didn't ask questions. Jesus didn't qualify him for his request. He didn't say, well, like, talk me through what's going on. Give me some examples. What have you tried? Why did it take you so long to come? He didn't do any of that. He just simply went with him. His answer was, yeah, I can help. I can do something. Yes, you've come to the right place. Hope isn't lost. Think about the heart of this man for the second. Think about at the end of your rope, you're exhausted, you're tired, you're afraid. If you've had sick kids before, you get pretty desperate. It is demanding and urgent, and his whole life, he's had this beautiful girl, and she's only 12. Her whole life is ahead of her. It hasn't even been lived yet, and he knows the desperation of trying things and not working, and finally, one little glimmer of hope, one shining light in the void of desperation, Jesus goes with them. But they're in this crowd because there's lots of people there and they're all pushing in. They want to see Jesus and they want to be near Jesus. They've heard about Jesus. And this crowd is pushing in and there's people all around and they're trying to make their way to Jairus' daughter. But in this crowd is a woman. And she's had a 12-year struggle in a different way. The same amount of time that this little girl has been building a life of new potential and possibility, this woman for 12 years has been suffering miserably and nothing had helped her. She'd spent all her money. No doctors were helping. Nothing had changed. And she thought, if I could just get close enough to touch Jesus, I'm not going to bother him. I'm not going to ask him for anything. I'm not even going to talk to him. I'm just going to sneak in. Maybe just touching his robe, right? Like the superstition. If I just touch something magical, and then I can sneak out, and nobody will know, and nobody will see me. I just want to get close enough to touch. And Mark says, when she touches Jesus, immediately she's healed. Immediately her suffering is gone. But Jesus is Jesus, and he asks, who touched me? Now, if you're with him, this is actually funny, because the disciples are like, Jesus, there's like crowds of people. Everybody touched you. That's the answer. Literally everybody touched you. There's so many people here, like, I I can't even pick my way through. But Jesus knows what's going on. He knows this woman who's trying to quietly sneak away without being seen. And when she comes forward, she also fell at his feet. She told him the truth, what she had done. And listen to what Jesus says to her. Daughter, your faith has healed you. 
Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There's this beautiful moment where a woman, she's been overlooked. Of course she thinks, don't look at me, nobody has. She's been on the outside, excluded. You can go through all the commentaries, talk about like, because of what she was suffering, it made her ceremonial unclean and she wasn't allowed in certain places. And she's been overlooked and left behind, lost in her pain and suffering. But in this moment, she's seen, she's noticed, she's connected to Jesus, which means not just healing for her body, but being seen and known. She came in her, and what does Jesus say? Go in peace. She left in peace, knowing Jesus differently. It wasn't just a superstition that she needed to touch something that he held. He was this human, powerful man in God who could do something that nobody else could do. But I love, whenever you see stories like this coupled together, you have to read the context of it. Because think about it. Like, it, it moves so lovely. First Jairus, then this woman, and then Jairus' daughter. But imagine for your second, you're still Jairus. And the intensity and the urgency, it hasn't worn off. All that's happened for him is Jesus has moved in a direction with him. But the clock is ticking. His, his light, the life of his daughter is slowly slipping away. His urgency is tangible and it's real. His desperation hasn't changed. Like, Jesus, great, I see that there's this thing that we need to work out, but could we come back to that, right? Like, if I'm Jairus, in my mind, I'm like, what do you do when you get impatient? Like, I can't stand still. Like, I want to physically move you to where I want you to be. And his urgency, his desperation, like, great, this woman's got this problem, but she's had it for 12 years. It's not going anywhere, right? Like, could we do this and then come back? But that's not what Jairus does, and it's not what Mark say, it says. Only what happens next. Every parent's worst fear. People came from Jairus' house and said, I'm sorry, your daughter has died. You don't really need to bother Jesus anymore, which is what, are, there's nothing he can do. She's gone. It's over. But Jesus hears this. He's there. And listen to what he says. It's powerful. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Now, hold on to those for a second, because these words are huge. I don't want us to miss them. What do we do when we are desperate and staring down our greatest fear? Normally, we struggle it. We resist it. We say, God, why is this happening? Why are you doing this? Fear and desperation have this way of just turning us in side out. There's no joy, there's no peace, there's no rest. There's only exhaustion and stress and fear and worry and desperation. And Jesus knows this. He knows our hearts. And what does he say? Don't be afraid, just believe. Right where we think, this is my greatest fear. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. I wouldn't have picked this. I don't want to be. Have you ever been there? Like, I don't want to be here. I don't know how life got here, but I don't want to be here. I would do anything in the world to get out of right where, right there, where it feels like our worst fears have come to fruition. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Where we feel overcome, overwrought, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Right where it feels like hope is lost, discouragement has won, Nothing's ever going to get better. Nothing's going to change. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. Now, I don't know what your fear looks like right now. 
I don't know what your desperation feels like. I know mine. And I know in these moments, there's two different voices that we hear. When we are struggling with fear, when we are struggling with desperation and worry, we have two different voices that we hear. One is for us and one is not. And this is a moment where we really have to challenge what's the loudest voice that I hear in my mind. Because I'll be honest with you, the voice that isn't for you, it hurts. And it's mean. And it says, this is your fault. You got yourself here. It's never going to get better. You're doing a bad job. If only you wouldn't have done this. If only you would have done this instead. You're the problem. There's no cure. Nothing's going to get better. It's only always going to feel like this. You're too much. You're not enough. Or maybe your voice sounds different, but it's mean. And in our desperation, we hear a story about the crisis. And in the story that we tell ourselves about the crisis, there's a voice influencing us for good or for bad. And that one that hurts makes us feel lost in the desperation and fear. But friends, it is not the voice of Jesus Christ. The voice of Christ calls to our hearts and tells us, listen, don't be afraid, just believe. Because fear is real, and it's scary, and it's overwhelming. But our God is just as real. Our God has been present through all time, through all history, through all that ever was, and he is bigger than any fear we face. What feels too much for us has never been too much for him. And in those moments, the voice that needs to be the loudest voice we hear is, don't be afraid, just believe. Because God isn't done yet. God isn't done yet. Look at what Jesus does next. He's in a crowd. He doesn't take the whole crowd. He takes a few of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. They make their way to Jairus' home. They show up. People are wailing. They're crying. They're overrun with emotion. Jesus said, what's up? What's going on? The child isn't dead. She's just asleep. And of course, because they're these like devout religious people, they laugh at him. <laughs> like, like, Jesus, no, this, she's dead. Like, not sleeping. But undeterred, look at what Jesus does. He kicks out all the extra people. You don't need to be here. You need to just give us some space. He takes Jairus. He takes the little girl's mom. He takes his friend, and he goes into where the little girl is. He goes to where she is, takes her by the hand, and says, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. But it's interesting because, you know, we're translating languages. The closest rendition of this is literally imagine, if you've ever had to wake a kid up before, or you've ever had to, like, Sometimes you can be loud and rowdy and boisterous, but just imagine gently going to your kiddo and saying, honey, time to get up. That's what Jesus does. He goes to this little girl, and he speaks to her with affection and kindness and says, hon, it's just time to get up. And Mark says, immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely It's easy to hear the story about a dad in desperation and know that feeling. It's harder to imagine Jesus showing up, doing this impossible thing, and being 
completely astonished. This is who Christ is. What seems impossible to us is nothing for him. Look, we, we know pain, we know fear, we know death. Look at the context. To Jesus, what feels powerful and controlling and defining is nothing more than a passing nap. Nothing is too hard for him. He took the desperation of two people, and he didn't just give them hope. He didn't just give them help. He astonished them by what he could do in response to them coming to him. Now, there's a few things that are so important. The story itself is beautiful, the nuance of it, the, the weaving in of it. But I really want us to not miss a few really important things. I love Charles Swindoll says it this way. He says, we typically become desperate when a challenging situation drags on, becomes unbearable, and makes us recognize how helpless we are to avoid the outcome we fear most. Any circumstance headed for disaster that we're powerless to change, right? I feel desperate when I feel powerless. <laughs> I go into like hyper control stress mode when I have no control and I want to control everything. But this is what Swindoll says. First, for humility to displace skepticism, we often must reach the point of desperation. Second, for trust to eclipse our panic, we must learn the value of delay. It says God is not almost sovereign. He knows the situation entirely. Now, I think that, that sentence, God is an almost sovereign, is such a challenge to our controlling habits. Because think about it. If God is in control, if God has authority over all time, all space, all creation, and I'm trying to negotiate with God what I want in my timing and in my way, I'm saying to God, you're almost sovereign, not all the way sovereign. What I'm saying to God is, God, I trust you this far, but then I need you to let me do this, right? We have these conversations with God missing that if God is truly in control, if God is truly sovereign and authority, you don't want him as a partner. You want him as a leader. You don't want him as somebody that you bring in for like special consultations. You want him plowing through, leading the way, you following him because he is in control and we can trust him, not just with our lives, but with the lives of the people who matter to us most. So let's break that down a little bit, because that is challenging. That gets to the heart of what it means to trust and follow Jesus Christ. It gets to the heart of saying, God, your way, not my own. It gets to the heart of some of the things that we wrestle with. So the first thing we have to understand is, one, the timing of Jesus. What is Mark showing us in this nuance when he goes back and forth between Jairus and this woman and then Jairus again? We feel urgency, right? There's important things and there's urgent things. And urgent things are right now, has to happen. Don't blink, don't move, don't go away. Don't take your eye off this because the world will come crashing down to an end if you don't, right? That's how, maybe urgency feels different to you, but that's how urgency feels to me. And urgency makes me feel desperate. And when I feel this way, what am I saying? I'm saying, Jesus, you need to do something about this. God, like, I need you to do it right now. But what is Mark showing us? Jesus won't be rushed. He doesn't need to be. If he's in control and he's sovereign and he has authority, he has a time and a plan, and it is good. 
And it's not me trying to rush Jesus and force him into my timing and my plan. It's me learning at the feet of Jesus Christ how to trust in his good plan. Now that, I know, those words, it speaks easy, right? I could write that down, I could memorize it, I could put it in a card. But that's where we struggle. That's where tension comes up, because it's in the moments that are hardest and urgent and most desperate where I feel like i got to trust in the timing of God. Where I want to rush God because I don't like it. I don't like how it feels here. It hurts here. It's scary here. It's hard here. But what is God doing? God's not raising hu uh, mediocre humans. He's raising us to be the glorious creation he's called us to be. And I don't become that way overnight. It takes a lifetime of learning to trust in the sovereignty of God that he has a plan that is good and always, always comes together and works out. Maybe not how I would define it. Maybe not how I would even like it. But here's what Mark tells us. We will be astonished by it. Every time we place our trust in God, we will be astonished by what God can do. You know what Christ wants to remind me? I'm not God. He is. And he's good at it. He's been doing it for all of eternity. And when my time is done, he's going to keep doing it without flaw and without error. I can trust him. I can trust him with my fear. I can trust him with my desperation. I can trust him with my kids. I can trust him with my suffering. He cares about it all. None of it's missed. None of it's wasted. What feels like delay? Like, God, why aren't you moving quicker here? Why aren't you making something more happen here? May just be exactly the place where God wants to do something astonishing in your life and in mine. Jesus has a timing that we can trust in. But here's the second thing I want us to see. I want us to see the position of the people who came to Jesus. See, Jairus was this respected leader in the community. The woman that Jesus healed, she wasn't really anybody of note. We don't even get her name. We don't even know her name. One was high on the social ladder. One was low. One was included. One was always on the outside, excluded. Now, in our world, what does culture say? You bend to the position of other people. If they have position, if they have authority, if they have influence, you need them to do what you need them to do. You bend towards them. But Jesus says it's never about position. Look, the leader that's higher up on the scale waits while Christ heals a woman many people, most people, would never have seen. What does Jesus tell us again and again and again and again? The first become last and the last become first, right? He disrupts what culture says is hierarchy and who's high and who's low, and he disrupts that again and again and again to get to the heart of who we are. But look at what they both have in common. High and low, they both fell at the feet of Jesus, hoping for help. This is huge. What prevents me from falling at the feet of Jesus and asking for help? You know what the number one answer is? Pride. My pride gets in the way of me being able to ask Jesus some help. It gets in the way of me falling at the feet of Jesus and saying, 
I can't do this. Only you can. See, many times what happens? Like, well, what are other people going to think? Or how will I look? And it holds us back. But look, humility changes everything. Pride says, Jesus, I need you to bless me because I'm a good person, right? Jairus could have had that conversation. He's a synagogue leader. He's a ruler. He's got respect. He's got clout in the community. Jesus, I am a huge asset to this community, and I'm going to need you to bless me now because of everything I've done, right? That's pride. Pride says, God, I need you to do what I need you to do because of who I am. But grace and humility disrupt the heart of pride. What is grace? Grace isn't that Christ saves me because I'm a good person. Christ saves me because of who he is. And it's me recognizing that I cannot do this on my own. I am desperate for the grace of Jesus Christ. That's humility. And both of these people, they responded in the position of humility to Jesus Christ. And look how Christ responds to them. With kindness and care. Can you see the gentleness of Christ and how he responds to people who ask for help? If I'm fallen at the feet of Jesus Christ, he's never going to humiliate me. He's not going to shame me there. He's not going to embarrass me. He's going to respond to me with kindness and care and help. Not help as we dictate it to him, but help beyond what we know how to hope or imagine for. Maybe we need to disrupt some of the pride in our hearts that's telling us it has to be this way. God has to be this way. I have to look this certain way. Maybe, instead of saying, Jesus, you just hang out over there and do what you do. I'm going to be over here doing what I do. Let's just figure this out. Maybe it's time to just fall at the feet of Jesus Christ, believing that he is good, that he is for us, that he can do beyond what we know how to ask or imagine. See, right where we are, whether it's desperation or skepticism, God knows the situation. He knows our heart and can do an incredible work. Right where I feel most powerless, I can trust in the power of God, who is greater than anything I could ever do on my own. I could fall at the feet of the, feet of the one who has all power, all glory, all splendor. And here's what the promise is. He helps. <laughs> he hears us. He knows us. Our suffering, fear, desperation, he is not removed from them. He is with us in those moments. I've often thought of, go back again, I bring him up, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in Germany during uh, the Nazi regime. And if you want to know something about fear and belief, at the time he was a pastor, other churches and pastors were folding under Hitler and the pressure of the Nazi beliefs. But Bonhoeffer held firm. And he preached this sermon on fear. And I go back to it again and again. He said, the Bible, the gospel, Christ, the church, the faith, all are one great battle cry against fear in the lives of human beings. Fear is somehow or other the arch enemy itself. It crouches in people's hearts. It hollows out their insides until their resistance and strength are spent and they suddenly break down. He said fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to others. 
And when in a time of need, that person reaches for those ties and clings to them, they break and the individual sinks back into him or herself, helpless and despairing, while hell rejoices. It says, but the human being doesn't have to be afraid. We should not be afraid. This is what makes humans different from all other creatures. That in the midst of every situation where there is no way out, where nothing is clear, where we are, where it is our fault, we know that there is hope. Listen, this hope is called, thy will be done. Yes, thy will is being done. And here's the part that captures my heart. We name the one who overcame fear and led it captive in the victory procession, who nailed it to the cross and committed it to oblivion. We name the one who shouted victory of humankind, redeemed from the fear of death, Jesus Christ, the crucified and living one. He alone is Lord over fear. It knows him as master. It gives way to him alone. So look to Christ when you are afraid. Think of Christ. Keep him before your eyes. Call upon Christ and pray to him. Believe that he is with you now, helping you. Then fear will grow pale and fade away, and you will be free. Through your faith in our strong and living Savior, Jesus Christ. How powerful that is that. In every fear and desperation we face, we claim the name of Jesus Christ. We hear the words, do not be afraid, just believe. Because Christ is with us. He will lead us through. He's Lord over fear, and we can count on him. He will guide us. He will not let us down. Dear Father, I pray that you would help us. I pray where we are right now today, in this moment, in this time, and in this place, what we wrestle with, what we struggle with, what fear is robbing from us, where desperation has led us in an urgent chase, I pray all of this, Father, would draw us back to you. We claim the promises of Jesus Christ that we do not have to be afraid. We can believe in you. We claim the victory when you nailed all of this to the cross and you declared victory over death and sin itself. Give us the faith to believe. Give us the courage to move forward. Father, give us the trust that your timing is good and you are at work in all of this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.